Welcome to the Innovation Engine Podcast. Since 2014, we've been bringing you conversations with some of the world's leading authorities on innovation. Topics we cover include technology, culture, leadership, and more. Coming to you from Three Pillar Global Studio in Fairfax, Virginia, here's your host, Will Sherlin. Welcome back to the Innovation Engine Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be looking at building the Internet of Things with Machet Krantz. Among the topics we'll discuss are why the Internet of Things in many ways represents the next generation of the Internet, the implications that has for companies in a wide range of industries, and words of wisdom for those looking to dip their toes into the IoT waters for the very first time. Machet Krantz is the author of the recently released book, Building the Internet of Things, Implement New Business Models, Disrupt Competitors, Transform Your Industry. The book hit the New York Times Business Bestseller list at number three in December 2016, and it was named a must-read book for entrepreneurs in 2017 by Fortune. In his daily life, Machek is vice president of the Corporate Strategic Innovation Group at Cisco Systems. He leads the Cisco team, focused on incubating new businesses, accelerating internal innovation, and driving co-innovation with customers, partners, and startups through a global network of Cisco Innovation Centers. Prior to this role, Bacek was general manager of Cisco's Connected Industries Group, where he drove IoT business for key industrial markets. Bacek has been involved in the IoT space since the mid-2000s, helping Cisco lead the way at enabling innovative IoT solutions in areas like smart cities, manufacturing, and many more. Welcome to the podcast, Machek. Thank you, Will. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's our pleasure to have you on. So let's start off this episode with a little bit of storytelling, if you don't mind. Early in the book, you share a very powerful anecdote about some of the changes Harley-Davidson was able to make in their manufacturing process that I think illustrate a few of the areas where IoT has the most potential impact. Could you share that story with listeners to set the stage for the rest of the episode? Absolutely. And uh, I think we all know Harley-Davidson, right? They are the iconic manufacturer of uh, custom motorbikes. But a few years ago, uh, before IoT, uh, they used to operate like a collection of separate islands where all the functions from purchasing to logistics and even uh, stations in their production plants um, operated as silos. So as a result, if you and I wanted to uh, order a custom bike, it will take up to 18 months from the time we place an order to the time uh, they will actually um, ship and deliver the product. So what um, Harley decided to do uh, was to um, implement IoT by connecting all of these islands, uh, starting with their production plant, onto one network. And once the data started flowing across, they were able to optimize their processes and um, reduce the time uh, it takes to deliver the product from 18 months before IoT to as little as two weeks. So here it is, IoT in action. Nice, that's amazing. So one of the overarching concepts you write about in the book is that the first stage of the internet represents connected people, and the second stage of the internet re represents connected everything, basically. How will this mm -hmm. next stage of the internet be different from the first? Great question. Um, you know, when you think about the, f the last 25 years, the first wave of commercial internet, the main role of connected devices uh, was to give you and I, us people, uh, access to each other, 
access to the online data and uh, access to online processes. And these devices perform these types of tasks uh, beautifully. However, in the second wave of internet, when, um, as you said, everything gets connected to everything, the main purpose of IoT connected devices is different. It is to generate the data that can be then analyzed and pulled into um, solutions that create a business impact. And figuring out where to start with an IoT engagement varies from company to company. For those that may be looking to get their feet wet with IoT but don't really know what to consider, what pieces of advice would you give to them? Uh, sure. So. First of all, IoT is not rocket science, right? Uh, so my first piece of advice would be don't be a hero, dream big, but, but start small. So typically what your peers have done is uh, they went to conferences or venues where they can learn um, from their peers um, what are the best uh, use cases or projects that um, they can implement, what are the industry benchmarks. And then they would come back, look at their TCO information, look at their benchmarks and see if there's a gap. If there's a gap, then, the, um, then it's a foundation for the business case. In some cases, um, the company will build a business case themselves. In some cases, they will use a consultant. Now, if you're a small business, I think the next logical step is to find an integrator who has experience in the use case you picked, but also knows your industry. If you're a large company, then you would put a cross-functional team, uh, but a key piece in a larger company is to get, um, to secure a, a C-suite support, um, because you're not starting just on one project. This is just the first project. You're starting on a journey, and this journey over the next couple of years will transform your company. So you better have support from higher ups in your company uh, to help you uh, go through the process, and then just get started. And one of the chapters in the book focuses on four fast paths to IoT payback. What are those four paths? Yeah, it's, a, it's actually a, a sort of a key focus of the book uh, because when I started talking to uh, dozens of um, companies that had been implementing IoT over the last couple of years across all the different industries, certain patterns starting to emerge. And then I group basically um, the most mature, most um, uh, sort of a lowest risk um, uh, projects into uh, four categories. The first, first category is connected operations. This is basically the example of um, what uh, Harley Davidson did. Then there are remote operations like asset management, asset tracking. The third one is um, uh, predictive maintenance, and the fourth one is uh, preventive uh, analytics. And um, um, if you look at these four um, uh, scenarios, the most common uh, ones that have been implemented by dozens of your peers. So if you haven't started on IoT, I would pick one of these four scenarios as your first project. And you mentioned that you, you've been looking at companies in a number of industries where IoT is already helping companies make major gains. And you also write about some that will be in kind of the second wave of IoT adoption. So in addition to manufacturing, as you mentioned with Harley-Davidson, where is IoT's impact being felt already? And then what are some industries that you expect to be next in line? Uh, absolutely. And uh, I've actually seen thousands and thousands of companies implement IoT solutions um, in many industries. But um, the most advanced and mature are, are, I would say, manufacturing, logistics, transportation, oil and gas. So overall, the industrial segment. But we also finally starting to see smart cities becoming real. And um, so next in line, um, uh, I would say, are um, 
uh, retail, healthcare, and agriculture, where we're starting to see some interesting pilots, but um, um, just uh, sort of early adoption rather than mature adoption. So as you can see, the good news is that um, IoT adoption has been fairly broad across multiple industries. And there's a concept that there's a concept that you mentioned frequently throughout the book that I wasn't familiar with up until now. Fog computing. What is fog computing? Sure, it actually is a uh, sort of a new buzzword uh, of of the year, I would say. But um, in a nutshell, fog computing is um, a distributed cloud. So when you think about sort of the first wave of the cloud uh, applications, they were focused ma mainly on batch processing. So for example, if you have 30 years of um, uh, seismic data, you want to analyze it, you would do it in a cloud. Um, also, some use cases like uh, connecting a bunch of vending machines that directly to the cloud made sense because the data sent from vending machines was very infrequent and wasn't very time sensitive. However, if you think about IoT, and we talked about that earlier about this next wave of internet IoT, where it's all about generating data, IoT devices generate a lot of data. So if you think about connected vehicle, it generates two to three petabytes of data every year. Um, AutoRig generates um, up to five terabytes of data per day. So in this scenario, you can't take all this data to the cloud and for processing. You have to basically take a cloud to the data um, and start processing the data as close to the source. So in this case, what Fog Computing does is extends the cloud to, let's say, a car, where uh, all the data is processed and stored in the car, and only exceptions, alerts, or specific information you requested is, is getting moved to the the cloud. Okay, and you mentioned vending machines there. You also write in the book about uh, some other everyday objects like ATMs, for example, that are really have been applications of the IoT in effect for decades already. Um, so IoT is not necessarily something that's that's new to everyone. It just kind of seems new. Is that right? Correct, and I think it actually is a is a is a great observation because um, uh, we've been uh, we've had many examples of IoT for decades. As you mentioned, uh, ATM was a good example. The reason we're talking about IoT happening now is just a scale. Now we're actually seeing billions of devices getting connected, right? And which requires us to have a different approach from the data perspective, from security perspective, uh, from um, uh, how how we integrate IoT with our business processes perspective as well. So, but you're absolutely right. It, um, um, we've been sort of working towards this moment for at least one or two decades. Yeah. And you write, uh, you write in the book about the, the job market for IoT workers and competition for IoT talent is already fierce. You think that any company who tries to go it alone on their own is destined for failure. Why are partnerships and outside help from vendors, freelancers, or contractors a necessity for any successful IoT effort? This is actually absolutely a key requirement. Uh, when you think about uh, sort of the traditional 20th century model of a vendor or, or a solution provider, it was about one company doing it all. So one company will, will build a complete station or a complete auto rig or a retail store um, based on, there will be a custom solution based on proprietary technologies. But now with IoT, because of the pace of innovation that is required, because of the cost requirements, we're shifting now to a collaborative model. I actually call it in the book a uh, co-economy, uh, where 
multiple companies will actually join forces. Um, each of these companies are sort of experts in their own area. Uh, and they will join forces to, to develop a solution for customer based on open standards. And it actually is a, is a big shift. Uh, I firmly believe that um, companies that embrace these new models uh, will be the winners in this IoT transition. And uh, companies, sort of vertically integrated companies that stick to the 20th century model will be the losers. They will just not be able to keep up. And sticking with that theme a little bit, there's a great chapter on change in the book where you mention a few types of models that may be good ways for people to get in the right frame of mind to think about the types of change that IoT can bring about. What are a few of those transitions that you write about? Yeah, and um, again, these uh, these are not sort of theoretical ideas, right? They all came from uh, talking to customers and uh, learning from their experiences. Um, and... Um, uh, Maybe a couple of examples. Uh, so the first one is, I've already touched on this, which is um, prepare for the journey, uh, not just for one-time event. You really are working, looking at IoT as a transformational force for your organization. So um, think of it comprehensively because you'll be working on IoT projects with increased complexity and increased impact over the next few years. The second one, uh, uh, linking to your previous question, it's, uh, it's about talent, right? Um, uh, there's a lot of discussion around uh, talent these days, especially in manufacturing. Um, but what I see the most innovative IoT companies, actually, in addition to implementing IoT solutions and technology, investing more internally in their talent and also being more creative externally uh, with um, developing joint curricula with universities or offering apprenticeship solutions. But um, your talent needs to be ready. Um, they need to have a, a mindset of constant change constant learning so that they can keep up and uh, stay together with IoT technology as you are evolving uh, that process. Move to open systems, open technologies. We talked about this is one of the winning transitions. And if, you, if you're large enough to have both an IT organization and the OT, operational technology organization, the team that runs your plants or your logistics or facilities, look at the converging these teams because one of the key to IoT is connecting um, all the uh, all the major organizations within your your company and for the data flow to to flow let's say from the plant to the enterprise to the cloud so these are a few examples and so the last thing anyone wants when trying something out for the first time is to make mistakes that will sink them right off the bat as I mentioned in the intro, you have the benefit of having worked on IoT-related projects for around a decade. What are some of the things you've seen that you would recommend people avoid when they are getting started with their own IoT projects? And this is actually the essential part. I, I firmly believe, especially in the um, early stage of the major transition like uh, Internet of Things, we all, all have to be learning from each other and sharing not only our um, uh, wins, but also our failures. So there's, yes, there's a whole chapter that I've dedicated to that topic. Let me give you a few probably the most um, pronounced sort of um, uh, areas of um, that we need to watch out for or potential mistakes. So the first one is implement IoT solutions um, in isolation separate from the related business process. Um, 
I can give you an example. So there was a city that deployed a state-of-the-art inflow detection system in manholes. Uh, and the solution worked beautifully as designed, but uh, the return on investment did not materialize. Why? Because the solution was not integrated with the related business process. In this case, um, the city sweeping and cleaning practices. Um, so once uh, the, the city realized this problem, they integrated um, both the underground and above the ground processes into one workflow, the ROI followed. So really, it's not sufficient to think about IoT solution. You need to think about a business process, how to integrate it, how to adjust it, uh, both to, to make it successful. Second example, I would say, would be immature technology. Um, when you think about parking, automated parking examples, the first wave of parking solutions was based on um, sensors that were, were basically embedded in the ground. These were very expensive and very error-prone solutions. So the second wave of parking solutions was based on, uh, on camera as a sensor. It was much cheaper, much easier to deploy, and much more accurate. So uh, make sure that when you're looking at the solution in scale, pick the solution that is based on um, a fairly mature and well-tested technology. Again, don't be a hero. Um, maybe the third example will be identify real production projects versus science projects. Um, can give you an example. A couple of years ago, I was involved in a effort to build a connected refinery. So basically, connect all the elements of the refinery using a wireless technology. Uh, we worked on this project with a bunch of our um, partners for two years, and then when we finished, we realized that, that the company that we were doing it for would actually not buy it and not deploy it, the solution, that we actually were working with an um, advanced research group instead of with a production team. So uh, the lesson learned here is make sure that uh, you work with the people who actually have a, a buying power and decision-making power um, before you put a lot of resources into the project. Yeah, definitely. And one of my favorite parts of the book is, is some of the anecdotes that are sprinkled throughout. You've mentioned smart cities a few times, and mm -hmm. Bar Barcelona is really kind of leading the way in citywide IoT implementation. Can you share a few examples of, of what they're doing? I think parking may have been one, uh, but are there other areas where they're really building out uh, you know, uh, savings or improving the, the lives of their citizens or tourists to Barcelona? Absolutely. And in some way, um, Barcelona has been sort of an icon of, I, of IoT and smart city for 10 to 12 years now. And um, for, for us and many other uh, IoT players, it's been sort of a lab. They've been great in sort of opening the whole city for us and say, work with us. Um, but a couple of things that they've done is they've taken the architectural approach. Um, so they've designed the entire uh, architecture for the city. So you don't have to sort of recreate the wheel every time you want to the hospital or a library or a sporting venue. It was all built sort of comprehensively from the ground up. Um, and, and, they, and absolutely they had a big vision which, is, uh, which sort of allowed them to do that. But um, uh, when you think about it, you mentioned that uh, they've deployed parking um, uh, systems. They've deployed um, sort of um, um, transportation system that they were optimizing the transportation um, infrastructure across the city. Um, they um, connected uh, the sporting venues, um, intelligent buildings, um, uh, as well as uh, some of the wastewater capabilities as well. And the impact has been tremendous. Um, uh, they claim there were tens of thousands of um, new jobs that were 
were created as a result of um, them becoming uh, this sort of uh, iconic smart city um, around, uh, there are, I think, one or two thousands of new companies that either moved to the city or were created in the city as a result of that. And the savings that they've re registered um, from automated parking or um, uh, IoT-enabled lighting solutions go into tens of uh, millions of dollars. Very nice. So there are some staggering numbers throughout the book about the number of connected devices there will be in the world by 2020, the economic impact the IoT is expected to have in the years to come, and much more. I'm sure there are many, but are there a few that stand out to you that you think really show how far the IoT has come since you first started working on it? Sure. And um Actually, IoT has been on top of the Gartner hype curve for a couple of years, so uh, we've definitely got, done a great job sort of uh, uh, getting people's attention around IoT. But um, if you think about um, some of the numbers, so number of connected devices uh, by the year 2020, which is just a couple of years away, um, the projections range from 50 billion to 20 billion to um, 7 billion. Uh, the same with economic impact. The numbers uh, also range from roughly 1 trillion to as high as $19 trillion um, in the next couple of years, which the numbers are just staggering. But to be honest, um, these numbers actually don't matter. Um, you know, yes, they show the impact of IoT across the globe, but um, for your listeners, for people who run organizations, for people who um, run businesses, what really matters is what IoT means for your organization, right? What what ROI you can get out of IoT implementation. So, um, yes, these numbers are big, but I would ignore them. Focus on um, what impact IoT can have on your business. Okay, got it. And you mentioned the, the Gartner hype cycle. The IoT, like many other um, technology areas that, that can come and go, can feel like something where people start to wonder if the reality will ever live up to the hype. Uh, and yes. I, I personally have questioned on this very podcast for folks who are longtime listeners, if we really need to have our refrigerators hooked up to the internet. Now, after reading your book, I will be the first to admit when I'm wrong. And there's a great story in the book about a dairy company in India that actually mm -hmm. harnessed the power of IoT to great effect. So would you mind sharing that anecdote with listeners to maybe uh, illustrate why a smart refrigerator might not be such a bad thing in some cases? I absolutely agree with you. You know, one of um, my frustration has been that um, uh, there have been so much hype around consumer IoT, especially connected home, right? I, well, I, I do see that there's some merit in maybe connecting your fridge or washing machine to the network, but I think that um, the concept of sort of interconnecting these devices in the home, I think, is still sort of very early. Um, and uh, the, the, part of the reason I actually wrote this book is because um, I wanted to focus on where IoT is real today, which is in the business setting. And as you mentioned, um, this ice cream example is um, one of my favorites in the book because it's it's powerful, it's easy, um, but but it's also hyper-local. It's focused on solving the particular problem in India that we may not have here in the U.S. So basically, the, the, the story is that um, there's a 150-store ice cream chain in central India. And over there, quite often, they have power outages. So uh, the company installed um, generators in every store. 
But what they noticed quite often that um, the managers in the stores were not turning the generators on, uh, ice cream was going bad, they were losing thousands of dollars and creating a health hazard in the process because the ice cream was um, uh, freezing, melting, refreezing, right? So what they did um, was um, uh, they basically dropped a bunch of um, temperature sensors in the fridges in every store and connected those to a uh, to the cellular network and to sort of an alert system. So every time, time the temperature will go up in the fridge, the store manager will get an alert or a phone call uh, with a specific call to action, like check if the door is open or turn the generator on. If the temperature will continue to rise, um, these messages will start getting escalated to a manager, to a district manager, and eventually to a CEO of a company if there is no action. So it's a very simple uh, setup, uh, but the impact was tremendous. In the first 12 months after installation of the system, the company saw five XROI or 500% return on investment um, of um, uh, of using the system, and of course that um, the health uh, benefits were tremendous as well. Okay, and let me ask you to to close things out with one more anecdote. There's a, a, a that's in a totally different industry. So Rio Tinto, Rio Tinto, Rio Tinto, if I'm pronouncing it yep. correctly, is a, is a, a a mining operation, I believe. And they employed IoT to predict when their when their very expensive trucks were likely to break down, right? Correct. Yeah, actually, um, uh, you know, it's actually a great experience. Um, if you go to uh, Rio Tinto or other uh, sort of a large mining open pit mine, it's actually amazing. Uh, you're basically standing in this hole in the wall that's just two miles wide and one mile deep, and there are these um, sort of specks on the sides of this um, of this huge hole, um, and these are basically these huge tracks where the um, the tire is basically the size of a, of a human being, right? And uh, Every time this truck actually uh, uh, would break down, it will cost the company roughly $2 million per day of lost lost um, um, revenues. Um, and um, when you think about these open pit mines, they're usually in the middle of nowhere. They are hundreds of miles from nearest um, uh, settlement or, or a city. So sometimes it may take a while to diagnose the problem, to order the parts, to fix fix such a truck. So what Rio did, um, they implemented this predictive maintenance system where basically looking at the past history, uh, the system will start giving advance notice. Let's say two or three months in advance would say, hey, there's this element in the engine. You have, um, it, started, it starts to, uh, to get hot. You have 10 days to fix it before it breaks. Um, so it actually gives them the time to order a part to fix it before um, anything happens. Um, and these systems, the more data you give them, the more accurate they are. So now these systems give um, give Rio Tinto advance warning roughly three months in advance with 90 to 95% accuracy. So there's huge savings for them, and they can operate these, um, these tracks continuously now for months and years. Okay, very nice. Well, Machek, thanks very much for uh, for coming on to share just some of the wisdom that's in building the Internet of Things. Uh, it was a fascinating read, and I uh, appreciate you very much coming on. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the time and the opportunity. Absolutely. My pleasure. If you'd like to learn more about Machek Krantz or building the Internet of Things, you can visit his website at machekkrantz.com. That's M-A-C-I-E-J-K-R-A. NZ.com. There you can read more about the book, watch a trailer for it, 
and of course purchase the book if you so desire. You can also follow Machek on Twitter at at MachekKranz to hear more from him about the Internet of Things and all things innovation related. If you liked what you heard on this episode, please help spread the word about the podcast on social media. If you choose to do so on Twitter, please don't forget to mention at MachekKranz and at 3 Pillar Global. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Innovation Engine Podcast is produced by 3 Pillar Global, a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. You can subscribe to the Innovation Engine on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher Radio. And you can also ensure that you never miss an episode by going to 3pillarglobal.com slash podcast and subscribing to receive fresh episodes in your inbox each time one comes out. You can also download our very own iOS app by going to the iTunes App Store and searching for the Innovation Engine Podcast. If you like what you hear on the Innovation Engine and you live in the world of product and software development, you may like our sister podcast, Take 3. Head on over to soundcloud.com slash take3pillar with the number 3 to hear my partner in crime, Julia Slattery, talking with 3Pillar team members to get quick takes on the trends, technologies, and tools that are changing the way software gets made and business gets done. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.